Welcome to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective. Presented to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome once again to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. I am Nathan. And I'm Bob. And today we are here to review Clan Book Giovanni, the first edition printing of Clan Book Giovanni from second edition Vampire the Masquerade. The Giovanni book. Yes, the Giovanni. Uh, we will probably accidentally mispronounce it a bunch of times. It's because we memorize it wrong. And most you know of you probably will mispronounce it as well. We've been schooled on a couple of occasions. So, Clan Book Giovanni, Clan Book Giovanni, what can we say before we even crack this book about it to sort of get our audience on board? One thing I'd like to say about it is this book, there's a tiny little box on the inside. And I'd like to read it for everyone just very quickly. Um, right in like the, the credits and... It's like, uh, why ask me the question? It was you it was, knew. It was not necessarily a question the that setup. deserved an answer. The setup. Uh, but words from the author. It says here, this is an ugly, ugly book. Let me state plainly that I'm not a racist, homophobe, anti-Semite, misogynist, or any other heinous hater of social demographics. In a perfect world, I wouldn't have to say this. Everyone would realize this is a work of fiction and that the opinions contained herein are the opinions of a fictitious character. So you can read the rest of it when you read this book, but... I think it's important to note this book is a vile thing. <laughs> and it's not necessarily vile in that it's descriptive of, you know, horrifying acts. There's a little bit of mention of that. But it's just, it's no bullshit, pull no punches, told from the perspective of a character. It smashes you in the face. It's going to destroy a lot of myths uh, that you have about Clan Giovanni. It's going to destroy a lot of myths that you have. Uh, about the Italian mob gangster vampires, which, uh, which actually, it's a question, right? Yeah, right. We had a question. I kind of just previewed it right there. Yeah. <clears throat> and I apologize uh, for everyone. As you would know if you listened to our previous week's podcast, we're dealing with some head, lung, sinus issues. Uh, I am recovering from bronchitis. Um, as well as a number of seasonal allergies, because apparently Chicago's decided it's mid-July. Uh, it's like 95 degrees outside, and I'm covered in a sheen of sweat. I get sick once a year, and we're still in that period, although I'm on the back end of it. It's still bad. Yeah, so if we, if we accidentally interrupt this podcast a couple of times and I miss some coughs in the edit, our apologies. It's just a matter of being ill. So, anyways, cracking some myths. Well, we were going to continue cracking some myths, but we had a question, right? Yeah. We had that from coming from uh, Chad. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to pull that up right here. Um, Chad is awesome, plays in our Curse of Cain game, uh, and he uh, has a statement and a question. And he says, so I'll preface this by saying that this is both a question and a statement of my love for the, G uh, the Giovanni in reverse order. First, though. Let me just say how excited I am that you guys are about to cover the Giovanni clan book. It was through you guys and your excellent Discord, Vampire the Masquerade Chronicle Curse of Cain, that I discovered my love for the Giovanni clan, who I now consider my favorite clan to play. Why? Because at least to me, the Giovanni seem to offer something for every player, no matter what concept they are looking for. They incorporate the pride and lineage, financial muscle and political prowess found among the Ventru, 
the success-driven work ethic of the Lasombra, the sort of we are what we are because we earned it attitude. Their soldiers uh, can trade blows with the best of the Bruja. Their history of art appreciation in many ways rivals that of the Torador. They were, after all, among the first patrons of the Renaissance. They have access to secrets topped only by the Nosferatu, an esoteric knowledge rivaled only by the Tremere. And their intricately planned machinations would give a follower of Set a run for his money. Okay, gushing done. There is a question under all of this Giovanni love. I know you guys have played just about every clan. I'm curious about your experience, uh, how your experience was playing a Giovanni, and how the other players in the LARP or tabletop responded to your Giovanni. There are, I feel, several ways one could be played, but it seems most people uh, at first react with only, oh, you're playing a vampire mobster. So we're going to answer the latter half, and you have to tune into our actual nerd words yeah. to hear the other, because that's how we normally do it. Review the clan book for the book we're going over, and nerd words will get loose with the stories. Uh, but for this, for the review, it's a very second half good stereotype to break off the bat. Clan Giovanni uses that stereotype and considers anyone who looks at them and goes, oh, Italian mobster vampires? They call them rubes, idiots, short-sighted, and then they use it. Because when you think of Italian and you think of mobster, you think of don't fuck with them. It just goes hand in hand. Right. You don't want to be extorted. You don't want to end up with a horse's head, whatever you want. And the Giovanni, pale-faced, death pallor, just smile when you make the assumption and go about their merry way. They may even, on purpose, adopt a, hey, what are you doing? You know, like shitty New Jersey accent, fake Italian bullshit right. that the American culture seems to eat up. And because of that, that gives them even more control. It lets you know. That very statement that you have there, Chad, I want to state, you know, it's like it sounds like somebody said, oh, you're just Italian mobsters. That person is the exact guy who probably owes the Giovanni money and doesn't even realize it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's very much the case. I mean, reading into this clan book and by some extent, even understanding the previous podcast we've done on the Giovanni Chronicles, that they are... A Venetian family, they are, uh, they they have plans upon plans upon plans, and yes, power, money, control, these are all very appealing things to this family. Uh, but are they La Cosa Nostra? No. And very plainly in this book, they go, "Do you think we would be involved with such short short sighted idiots?" We'll do it now because we'll probably skip over it. It's relevant now. Mm -hmm. They tell you that they started with them. That's very true. Uh, but this is when they were the Sicilians, right? Right. They were there in Italy. The Sicilians were in Italy. That's where they're from. And some of their family were, well, they're Sicilian. Right. And while they were there, they said these guys were basically thugs who were good at racketeering. They were good at extortion. They were good at getting paid for what they were owed. And that's why they had them. But then they realized these guys were in temp, not, they have a sense of temporal power, temporary always. It's they would have something, they would hurry up and around and get it with whatever scheme they have, and they had no vision. Right. Because they had no vision to earn a sustainable income of a, of a fantastic variety, and because La Cosa Nostra eats itself alive. There are factions throughout it that always stop them, someone turns a snitch or whatever, right. that ruins it. But the clan looked, took a hard uh, two seconds uh, for Augustus to wipe his hands of him and just say, nope, it's not a focus, we're moving on. That said, they did keep some key family members. Just keep an eye on them. Right. They'll do work for them. They'll be in there. They'll just to let them know because you don't want someone like the mafia to be running around without knowing what they're doing because they can and often do in the world of darkness. Um, fuck up a lot of things. 
in particular your plans. It's hard for you to get in with the police department when half of them owe the mob in some capacity. Right. Now, as for playing a Giovanni in a LARP or a tabletop, I have a bit more experience in a LARP. Me personally, I hope when I come into a game playing a Giovanni, they go, oh, he either like has sex with his cousin or he's a gangster. I hope that they think that. Great. Honestly, if I'm there in a game, I have a goal in mind. It is exclusive to that character. I don't care what anybody else is doing unless it intersects with that that goal that I have. And this clan, more so than any other, because of their isolation, because of their, you know, their stand, they're not part of either sect, you can have so much fun and uh, intrigue and treachery internally that what other players are doing doesn't even come into factor. I'm here to accomplish something or get something or, or win something over. Great. Have your politics. Do you need something that I can gain from? Great. Come to me. I don't care what you think of me. Meanwhile, I'm dealing with my own family. So for me, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I hope there are misconceptions. The idea of uh, interaction, though, which is uh, the other side of that, everything Nate said valid, I'm just not going to rehash it. It's right. my experience as well. Uh, the other shoe of it, though, is the necromantic half. People think of power coming from race, and they treat race, they dumb them down, they water them down, and shame on you, shame on you. If you do not realize that the world of the dead is even larger than the world of the living, you don't know math. <laughs> All right? Forever is right. a long time. In the land of the dead, since before Abel there were dead things... And after him, murder was invented, as far as biblical terms are concerned. And by the way, it's historically inaccurate. There was murder before then, too. Just saying. But the point is, that's how old and vast the land of the dead is. You're dealing with a clan that when they were alive, they knew necromancy. It was called nigromancy. And that just means black magic, by the way. No racial reference to it. But it was literally called black magic. They were referred to as black magicians. The misnomer that there was this uh, satanic churches and dark monks was actually forwarded by a mortal cult that was a derivative of the Catholic Church that got too involved in their study of death and were apocrypha, and they were hunted accordingly. And Clan Giovanni bears that stink. That's, that's them they're referring to because they were the merchants who were funding and got in bed a lot with what the Catholic Church was doing at that point. Now, why I point this out is because as mortals, they were ruling the underworld. They were knee-deep in what Ghost had going on. And what can a ghost tell you about where he hid his riches? Everything. Right. Because if they have a hunger. you know how to manipulate them, right. right. And if you know how to do it or can control them, that gives you even more power. And that's just for riches, right? Other things too, another topic. But the point is, when they get embraced, it just exponentially increases their knowledge of death. And they have forever to master it. So when someone sees a Giovanni walking in and goes, Oh yeah, whatever, it's a Giovanni bust out the pasta <laughs> it's cool they have a punishment in clan giovanni when you refer to someone insultingly and one man in particular you call him uncle augie right mm -hmm. it's it's augustus he's an antediluvian granted he stole it he'll be the first to admit it 900 years ago he diabolized an antediluvian but let me restate that 900 years ago he diabolized antediluvian what did you do with your existence <laughs> right. and let me add to it uh this is the only clan that turned around and told all other clans as it was colorfully referred to in this book we're about to review the rainbow coalition known as the camarilla uh they turned around and told them nah we're out of your jihad why aren't the diluvians really right there so you're full of shit when you say they don't exist can we agree to that 
Okay, checking that off the list. All right, cool. So you have your business. Mm-hmm. You're over there now. By the way, Sabat, we're not killing our founder. He's family. Yeah. He's right there. Yeah. He's, and, he's not hit. He's and, right there. And also, we like, we're treacherous bastards. You know we're treacherous bastards. We know it. So I, let's just all agree we're treacherous bastards and we'll keep to ourselves. Okay? And here's the funny thing. Neither sect had the balls to wipe them out. Neither one of them. They'd even stepped to him. They were like going up. Oh, right. All right. It's just the Camarilla turned around and said something and said, hey, once a year, we're going to meet and, and talk importantly, but you're, you're going to fund the meeting. Right. That's it. Well, and and I appreciate where you're going. I love hearing your words. They're passionate and I love them. But I gotcha. let's, let's let's just reel it back in a little bit. Thank you, Chad, for your question. As you can tell, we, too, appreciate this clan. We, too, appreciate this clan book. So. I would say just at the start here, when we start talking about this book, um, first and foremost, uh, just to give credit where credit's due, this was written by Justin Achille. Justin Achille would later go on to be like the head of development for uh, revised White Wolf. So he's a guy who I believe this is his first like foray into writing for White Wolf. It's a guy we actually met. Right. We, Both and we've, met. we've talked about it a little bit on our Nerd Words podcast. Uh, very cool guy. Very interesting to talk to. Apparently, I don't know if you knew this or not, how we met him was we were at a local, 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 way local convention game. And uh, apparently at that time, if you paid for them to come to your game, uh, they would just come to your game. Exactly what he said. They, 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 uh, the people that were running the game paid for his airfare and his travel costs, and he came. Uh, which, interestingly enough, I didn't know this. We'll actually do that, too. That's like a weird thing. It's true. Uh, I just now figured that out. But like, if someone was like, hey, we want you to come to our game. We'll pay for you to travel here. Yeah, we would do that, too. Uh, we're not putting it out there. We're just saying, like, that's awesome. We would do that. Makes sense. It's a good um, promo. But yeah, a uh, cool enough guy and... Uh, really, uh, in my opinion, this clan book has a feel that is, it's very similar to the other clan books, but it's totally different. It's totally conversational, and it is a really, really easy read because of how it's written. It's written, it, there's, there's no like sort of road bumps where you're like, oh, God, I'm trudging through this. It's like listening to someone talk about their clan. I told Nate, and absolutely, whereas I have my favorite clan, we know it was La Sombra. It's the last one we did. Um, Clan Giovanni is the most entertaining book by far. It is the most... I love Clan Giovanni as well. In fact, there's few vampire clans I don't love. I do mean that. But you have your favorites, right? right. Parents don't want to admit it, but you got your favorite kids. It's right. just known. Uh, the same thing. But this book is written from a perspective of someone who I could say on a lot of levels. I kind of agree. Um, I remember him telling me one time when he referenced this book that we were talking about uh, the Malkavian edition of the book. Mm-hmm. He didn't decry it. He didn't insult it. He was very political. I did all the insulting for him. And, and I got the, the eye stares and no, no, no admission at all. So I don't want to throw him under the bus. But there was where it said entertainment is what it's about. Right. But Clan Giovanni are necromancers. They have a dark past, a dark history. There's stuff into it. If it's not entertaining, why are you reading it? Right. And this book answers it. So I'd say even, even beforehand, this is, this is the sole reason why I'm so passionate about this book is because... You know, you meet the author, you get where they're coming from. I was excited that I got the message of the book that he put in. Right. I got to hear that. And we hope that you get the same thing from us as we dive into it. Right. And, and we'll warn you right off. If you are the type of person that is bothered by violence uh, or imagery of violence, uh, fictionalized violence or offensive terms or 
perhaps a less deep respect for life in general, this book you're going to want to avoid right off the bat in that first story that they give you, that first piece of fiction they give you. It's it. They, there's a story told here where you kind of feel bad for a guy who murders people and films it and sells it to rich people. The first line of the freaking story. I got to get me one of those Jew accountants. Right. I hear they're really good with money. Right. It is uh it it's it pulls no punches like we said. It's it doesn't make any apologies for being offensive. And if language is offensive to you, hey, we get it. That's totally awesome. Skip this book. In fact, skip this clan. But we'll we'll simplify the opening story because I think reading it is its own love. Oh yeah. I I tried to convince Nate that we'll just read the whole thing. Mhm. But uh, I want he, to, but I, I mean, want to too. And it's, but you know, maybe as an extra, book. maybe as an extra, there's a whole book. I think it's a beautiful story, but the paraphrase is this guy's, uh, the current, uh, what am I thinking of? Story is told from the perspective of a man who is a, uh, well, let's just say he films, he's a snuff film artist, right? Director, producer. It's what he does. And he's worked his way to have a specific clientele openly admits that a lot of movers and shakers pay him a ton of money to make these films. How much money? He makes $17 million a year that he can't touch because Clan Giovanni are the ones that, that fund his money. Right. He can't go to the bank and put this in there because he doesn't have a quote-unquote job that right. pays the taxes. Now, mind you, they're, they're not referenced as Clan Giovanni. Right. They're just th this family. They're the people that are willing to do business because he needs FDIC insurance and... Like, you, a guy like him just can't put his money in a bank. You'd think they'd be knocking down the doors to take his money, but for whatever reason, they won't. As he said, you should suck my dick for the amount of money I give you per year. <laughs> that's, a, that's in the book. I mean, right. It's a beautiful book, but they don't. And what it is is this guy's creeped out. He's creeped out because the story has him waiting for a guy named Oscar. And Oscar Giovanni is somebody who he called himself. He's a, he's a dick. Oscar's always like kind of derisive to him when he talks to him is very factual and punctual and everything's by the nose. And he has to call poor Oscar at nine o'clock at night because he just lost the site. He was going to use the film. He doesn't have anyone to be in the film. He doesn't, he doesn't have anything. As he said, here I stand dick in hand doing nothing. And now I got to get my money, which is why I'm talking to Oscar to get me out of town. Well, Oscar decides he's going to come by and pick him up gets them in the car, and they're driving. By the way, the car is some super Benz at the time, like right. this souped-up, slick, definite-money-type car. And he's awed by it, because Oscar's always dressed well, but tonight's unusually well. It's like a suit that he couldn't dream to ever have worn. By the way, he makes $17 million a year. He can't afford the suit that Oscar's right. rolling around in with the car. There's some girl in the back of the car that looks like a model, Who's who's pale and whatnot, and is like a, a drugged or drunk or yeah, he or unconscious or and he's sitting in front of the car and he's just kind of leaning away from Oscar and you imagine he's just kind of giving him a side look the whole time, like doesn't want to draw attention to himself, but but he's driving to what he believes is going to be this grand neighborhood where the uber rich live. He lives in one similar, you know, that has people who sell stuff and folks who work for detail data. This is work for IBM. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was funny to read, but the equivalent would be Apple or Microsoft is the same thing. Like right. they would have, you know, but it would be a neighborhood, not in the city, but a nice neighborhood built for them. There's nothing. Like he highlights that he's driving to a place where there's acres in mileage of nothing, just this house. And he goes, 
I believe the quote was, if you can imagine where the Rockefeller stayed, but with uh, uh, something about the Texas Chainsaw family he, might be he there. Mentioned, he mentions the Munsters. The Munsters, thank you, yes. Uh, yeah, they, and they pull up to this old, you know, ki- kind of like, he describes it like this shithole, like this old shitty place that's like kind of run down. And, like, clearly this family must have owned it for generations, but, like, no upkeep's going on. And it's and it's not even that there's not upkeep. What it is is, like, it doesn't appear anybody's there. Right. Like, he, he describes it as a palisade. He mentions that. That's right. what this is. But it's that nobody should have, to this day, there shouldn't be tombstones next to the house. Right. All the trees there, are there dead. There shouldn't be mausoleums you could see in the back. Right. And it's all there, and immediately he's put off. Like, how do you? how are you not? And when he gets out and goes to the door, he goes walking in. There's all these pale, sick-looking people just kind of staring at him. Like, imagine you walk into this house and there's 11 people that before you were there, they're wasps. They're the rich. And they might be family members. They might be friends from whatever distant palisade stopping by for the night having a few drinks. But they all pause over political conversation they're in to turn and look at you. Because you're the one who's not here. By the way, they were looking at the door before you opened the door. And they didn't say shit to Oscar as you walked in. You're the one in the room. And so this guy is just a mile a minute in his commentary about everything he sees and everyone that's there, which makes it highly entertaining, but it's ramping up his nerves. Right. And then they take him to meet this guy who he's met before. His name's Michael. But <laughs> as he says it, you know, he feels like half a fag whenever he says his name because he has to pronounce it Mikel. <laughs> it's not Michael. He has to pronounce it M-I-C-H-E-L. Like literally makes a point to it. And it pisses him off. And he sees Michael sitting in the other room, and he knows better. He knows not to open his mouth, not to say anything on tour, just keep it, keep it on the level. And they finally pull him into Michael, and he's like, hey, Mike. Or he, Mike, Mike tells him, says, hey, so uh, Oscar tells me that you can't... Uh, you need a lot of money. There you go. That's you, what it you is. Need, you need a bunch of money. Well, you know, that's a lot of money. What, you know, what do you need all that money for? And he's quick to comment. It's his money. Right. They're hanging on to over $17 million plus dollars of his money. And he may have asked for a lot, but it's his. Right. And so Mike's like, hey, just tell us what it's for. And he says, uh, yeah, well, uh, it's it's to get out of town. Right. I owe a lot of money to a guy who's expecting a film tonight. And if it's not the type of people, you don't give them what they want. And I'm going to have to get the hell out of here. And he goes, so wait a second. Oscar tells me all you lost was space. And then he's he's frozen paused. Because he goes, that's the thing about this family. He's never seen Oscar use a phone. Ever. And somehow, picking him up, driving him out to the house, this guy Mike knows everything. Knows everything that's wrong. And Michael just smoothly tells him, he says, well, if all you need was space, you can shoot your little film in the basement. Right, we've already got somebody for you to have uh, in the movie. And so once again, he's literally like, okay, uh... (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if you want this sort of film to be shot. And he doesn't say it, but it's on his face. And all Michael does is smile. All Oscar does is have this smirk. And then Michael's like, hey, Gio. And Gio's this giant ape in a suit, as he describes him. Already has a, a film tripod right. and the camera, camera over tripod, his shoulder right. and holding the girl from the car in his other hand. And so he's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, let's we'll, get down we'll to do production. Gets down to do the film. And... Uh, She's got a routine that he has to go through, and he says he has to work with with what he works with, and all he has is a mattress on the floor where the girl is, a fireplace poker, and uh, he takes a, what is it, the uh, the sleeve off a pillow, it's a pillowcase, mm-hmm. cuts two holes in it. Right. Goes to town. 
Now, what you got to know is everybody came down to the basement to watch it. Yeah, yeah, we, we're all going to go down and watch. And he's and he's he's fucked up, right? And he's, and he, and here's a guy who is a, a fucking a piece of shit. This is a disgusting, degenerate murderer who 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 rapes and kills people for a living. And the only thing that he can think about the entire time is how fucking creeped out he is because by be, this family. Because as you said, he works and you know he's doing his thing. He bashes this girl's head in with the fireplace poker. And he says he hates it. He hates head wounds because it's the black blood everywhere and it's always bad. And this happens and then he's done. The film's done. And like he's shaken up. You could tell he's not good with doing this, but it makes a lot of money. And like he said, he's a piece of shit. But when he turns to look, everybody in the room is just staring at her right there on the floor, not even at him. They all have their mouth half open. And a motherfucker's drooling. Right. And one dude's drooling. It, but that, that means that one dude's not a vampire. Right. <laughs> one dude's in the room drooling. Right. And they don't know what to do. And he's like, fuck this. He just, right. Oscar throws his clothes at him. He gets out. They don't leave. And he doesn't want to know what went on when he left. Minutes go by. He's standing up there. Michael walks over. Hands in the videotape. Everybody's cleaned up. And uh, Oscar's like, come with me. And and he's happy to go with Oscar. And he's like, well, I, I get the half a million dollars, I guess. Ha, ha, ha. And he's driving away. And it jumps the next night where he has to go back to the house because they want to share a glass of wine with them and congratulate him on a job well done. Right. Which is exactly what Michael does, except this guy the whole time's going, it's something fucked up with my wine. Who wants salty wine anyway? Yeah, who does that? I.e., he gets proxied. Right. We'll get into that. Right. And that's the story. But what we highlighted right here is just aspects about the Giovanni clan that I don't want you to miss. And sometimes we, I don't say we miss, but we don't hammer them home. You know, we just sort of get the book, read it, figure it right. out. Here's some things to note. The clan isn't obvious. If you don't get that. They don't hide it, but they don't tell you what's going on. Right. On purpose. If you're not Giovanni, you don't get to know. It's that simple. They may work with the top of the top, the lowest of the low, but everyone's going to get an impression of them being the apex in terms of money, finance, and having their shit together. Absolutely. But you don't get to know what they're about or what they're doing or why they're even using you. Yeah, and even with the 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 history, you know... Th- we're assuming at this point you've read the Giovanni Chronicles and the book kind of does too. And it tells you like, yeah, uh, uncle Augie, we, we know what, what happened there. There was this idiot Cappadocius who doesn't understand uh, literal from metaphor and thought he could actually diablerize God. Like we did you all a favor. Like this dude thought you could diablerize God and doesn't understand uh, works of fiction. Like that's not going to happen. Right. You could become like a God. Hello. So, yeah, we smoked this guy, ate him up. He was delicious. And these f- fucking founders came in, jag off Hardestat, like, hey, oh, we're going to stop you. And then you didn't stop us. You slowed us down a little bit. We, we got what we needed to do. And I'm sure it really, you know, ruffled your jimmies. But, <laughs> like, we did what we had to do. And, I mean, they just go right over their history. And what's cool is they don't have an ancient history. Right. Right? Because the history of the Giovanni clan starts with, Am- uh, excuse me, starts with uh, Augustus. And it starts with him and the founder getting getting deoperized of what they were, which is Cappadocius. Thus, the Cappadocian clan is destroyed by him. And we're over here now. Right. It's that simple. They tell you what happened at the, the Ereses Temple, and that's that. They move on. Why do they move on? Because Augustus knew the number one problem of all these other clans. Uh, they're killing founders and killing antediluvians, burning everything to the ground, destroying them. Hey, we're free, we're free, we're free. 
But what is what about their family? What about what they came from? What about the people who were there before and what went on? You're sacrificing all that knowledge, all that power to make more enemies and not solidify what you have. Uh, well, we're not doing that. Right. First and foremost, his idea is about the clan. He lost in the fragment, right? And what I mean by fragment, he says, you do what you're good at. That's how you serve the family. So first and foremost, understand that about Clan Giovanni. If you're talking to a banker, that's just what the fuck he does. He's in for baking, baking. He's in for banking. He's into doing what he's got to do because that's how he earned his embrace. And I do mean earned. And it's that simple. He's not going to deviate. He will know people you could talk to or there are people in the family he can go to and he can go to them. So in its own right, off the bat, it's a system of checks and balances, but also it's of privilege. We know our place. We know what we need to do. Therefore, if ever I'm in trouble, the clan has my back because I have theirs. That said, <laughs> Augustus, however, <laughs> right. That said, Augustus believes in merit, believes in only those who earn and those who have worth can be where they're at. And that's the secret. That's the similarity pointed out by Chad. Even the Lasombra have something similar, although I still see it as different. Clan Giovanni does it from a level of, uh, well, yeah, you're your family, literally, mm-hmm. right? That's right. that's great. And you were here, and you were once good at running business, but uh, something happened when we went from using um, printed gold coin. Now we're dealing with hard-earned currency on the internet, and you can't turn on a computer. Right. Wah, wah. Yeah, and, and, and they, they very distinctly talk about, well, you know, we're all family, and none of us are sellouts enough to actually go to some of these other jerk-off clans and sell out secrets of our family, because we get that. But occasionally somebody above me who may not be as strong or as willful or, or as capable as me, or maybe is just in the way they got to get whacked. <laughs> you know, they don't use the term whacked, but basically they're saying like, yeah, there's, there's some interfamily killing. There's some patricide occasionally. For sure. And we don't, we don't necessarily want you to do that, but we understand it happens. And uh, they don't have a formal La Sombra court to right. say, they just fuck you. And You're in the way. We're ahead of ourselves again right. in the book. But to bring it back full circle, Giovanni uh, D- Augustus diabolizes the Cappadocian, sets down a way for the clan to stay solidified going forward and productive. No one gets to sit on their hands. Once that's established, he knows he has to deal with those founders, those who got pissed off because they diabolized an antediluvian. Right. And to talk about that, it took 10 days, excuse me, 10 nights. These elders came over and sat, 13 of them, one from every clan that joined the Camarilla, and came over and sat down with the Giovanni and just talked their ass off, right. trying to convince them what he did was wrong and everything else, and what does this mean? Finally, someone comes up with the idea that uh, Augustus says this, hey, uh, we don't want to fucking belong in what you have. We're not going to join your Camarilla. That's not going to happen. Uh, but we're also not going to be part of your jihad. You don't have to worry about us. I'm right here. I'm not eating my fucking family. So, we don't have fuck to say to each other. Right. And these 13 were like, yeah, well, um, um, Rafael de Corazon, a founder, quoted in the book, opens his mouth and goes, but, 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 you will meet with us once every 13 years in this special spot and we'll, we'll have a chat. And it's a more often than that. I apologize, but I forget the exact. No, it's, it's 13 it's years. 13? Every okay, 13 yeah. years. We'll meet, we'll meet here in Venice and we'll have this special talk. And, and Augustus w- took him two seconds to say, yeah, no problem. Yeah. And, and, ba- and basically what they say is the Camarilla is we're going to come here every 13 years and we're going to discuss very important issues in the Camarilla, but you're not allowed. And they were like, oh, no, 
don't exclude us. How dare you? Right. And they're like, and they, they flat out say like, the reason why we have no problem dealing with the Camarillo is because we know every fucking thing they're doing. Because they're here. We, it's our home. Yeah, sure. Come and talk. They never heard of a ghost, not in the Camarilla. <laughs> right. So they have no idea or vaguest conception of what that is. So they, they're cool with it. Now, when it comes to the Sabbat, they know one thing about the Sabbat. Basically, they call them weak limp Nancys. It's that simple. Why are they? You can't take out a clan. Right. Not a one of you. Not a single one of you Sabbat have accomplished anything you say you've done. Right. You're the, you, the Lysambra killed the Lysambra antediluvian? Why the fuck are you still called the Sambra then? Right. Is right. it to Jerusalem? Why are you call? Seems to me someone still wants you to hold on to the name, and that someone you say you killed? Eh? <laughs> we'll let you chew on that for a little bit, but then you're going to take everybody's unwantables. You take all the unwantable, disconcerted, can't make anything for themselves people, join them all in one happy group where they're going to share each other's blood, get together, and decide that we're going to go kill some shit. Yeah, it's real great for building right. an eternity. Right. You're here forever, stupid. What are you going to accomplish? Oh, you're going to go after an antediluvian? Let me explain something about these antediluvian blood gods. Um, they have a plan and agenda. You're just not in on it. <laughs> There's a whole slew of vampires in on it because look what Augustus did. How about right. we point that out to you? Here's Augustus. Here's us. We're the Giovanni. We know what we're doing and what we should be doing, and we're not telling you. Yet there's you taking everybody's redheaded stepchild cousin into one group saying you're awesome. Right. Hey, tell you what. Jokes aside, you do your thing. We're over here. We won't fuck you up, but you don't come for us. Not that there's any standing agreement. You can if you want to try, but how about we just help you along? We can provide a little structure, a little advantage to you when you need it. Huh? Hey, right. at least we're not the Sedites. What do you think? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, sure. Yeah, whatever, just stay out of her way. Yeah, okay, moving on. Right. And that's that. Now, why do they say that? Jumping ahead a little, some of you are going, Sabat fucking kill the Juva. Eh, maybe. Yet there's a guy named Pactly, who's a Giovanni, we'll get to at the end here, who is in Mexico. The stronghold of the Sabat is in Mexico. One Giovanni in Mexico has an entire sect rendered impotent to kill him. Right. Fuck you and your self-proclaimed, oh, the Sabak can just romp or stomp. Can they? Your regent doesn't even try. None of the Black Hen have even tried. No one's even right. come close. Pockley's a badass. It's that simple. And he's one of the elders in the Giovanni clan, which means apparently they know more than the Sabak give them credit for. And, and he's a, a Pizanob. So yes. it's not like even it's not, it's not even like he's OG Giovanni from back in the day. He's like 1600s mid 1500s the giovanni followed into mexico with the with the spanish inquisition but there's, there's something about or that aztec spanish, blood uh, right exactly so uh we'll let you read all of the the interesting tidbits about like where what, what's the giovanni's goal what what are they trying to do but we're throwing cameos in right keep the train going so once we get done with that and that's called like the promise of what is it 1825 or something or 15 something which makes sense yes it is it's the promise of 1528 thank you for okay. dealing with our silence yes, yes so uh that's what goes on there that's what that's called and, and we go from there and right there they make a clip from everything you know and love about the camera and sabbat they're just not even mentioned anymore there's reasons for that you see what augustus did he's sitting around and he gets he after sure after the promise he gets encountered by a thing i called a thing named capuchin mm-hmm the capuchin is some monk 
who you can't see his eyes, comes around in a murder cloak. I assume he's a vampire. Only Augustus talked to him. And, you know, there are people in the room, but no one really had a discourse other than Augustus. And when they're talking, basically, it gets out that, hey, we need books on necromancy. Says the capuchin. I need to know how to do it. Right. And uh, Augustus is like, yeah, we do too. Um, but you have any way I could get them? He says, yeah. Uh, the capuchin says in the Vatican, there's a whole bunch of books on necromancy. I could start smuggling them out. But you got to teach me necromancy. And Augustus is like, done. Why? It's because there's a known fear that Augustus has. See, as it turns out, Cappadocius took some of his blood and preserved it. And in this vial that he preserved, um, he kept in the Eurysis temple. That's where it was. What you don't know is that Augustus is still searching for a way to rip, a, uh, rip apart the shroud, which we haven't mentioned yet, but we'll, we'll do that now just so you're aware of it. The Giovanni's idea of temporal power, in previous podcasts you'd have picked it up because it's like night one that you mentioned in the uh, Giovanni right, Chronicles right. of it. But a refresher, or new if you haven't heard it before, separating the land from the living and the dead is quote-unquote the shroud, and revised will call it the sidario, but basically it's, it's in the way of them having complete mastery of the world right. as far as the Giovanni are concerned. They, they, they come to understand that the concept of, of diablerizing God is nonsense, and that in all actuality... If you can control the land of the dead and the land of the living, if there's no barrier between them, you become as God. You, right. You become. So it's not it's not a literal. Um, I am now God, but you have absolute control. You can control armies of individuals and everything is yours for the taking. And even they're quick to point out as great as an idea that is be a baddest necromancer all you want to when it's literally all the dead that have ever existed that are way older than you. There's a faction of the Giovanni that aren't really certain that's the best thing to do. Right. <laughs> so, but you're not Augustus. That's the plan. They don't openly say shit about it, just it's mentioned. Moving forward, though, Augustus is paranoid because if there's some of this blood left behind, he feels that Cappadocius isn't really dead. Right. And, and he mentioned that he feels that in the Diablery, a little piece of his soul got away. And, you know, everybody scoffs at that. Like, you, you Diablerize somebody, you got to drink their entire soul. Like, right. that's, that's what Diablery is. But how do you tell someone this potent who experienced it himself, who we know by all evidence, he legitimately Diablerized the, the antediluvian. How do you tell him, no, that didn't happen. Even if he is paranoid, I'm not telling him. You know, exactly. that's what he feels. Exactly. And so what he says is, I'm going to send uh, my child. I'm going to send him back to go get it. And I believe it's Claudius, right? Begins with a C. It's Claudius, Claudio. It's one of those things. Mm -hmm. Trust me, he doesn't bear mention other mm -hmm. than he sent him there once yeah, already. Claudius. He sent Claudius there before because he wanted all the books on necromancy. Because again, we're ripping across the shroud. Claudius took it on himself to go back to Eurystice's temple that was untouched. And he sacks it. And they were looking for something specific. Wasn't there. They bring all the books back, though. And he, and he gets pissed off. Claudius, and he says, burn the temple. <laughs> Tells these guys to burn the temple down. Okay. Now we have the capuchin sitting in here and says, hey, why don't you just go back to the temple and get that vial and we'll figure out what it is. Augustus says, yeah, good point. Hey, Claudius, why don't you go back to the temple and bring me back that vial? Did, did you bring it back already and just didn't know what it was? And he goes, oh, no. Uh, hmm. Um, we destroyed the temple. I, I ordered the destruction of the temple and Augustus loses his shit. Yeah, absolutely. Loses his shit. Why? Temper. Right? 
gonna mention that claudius has a temper and it's a known short temper and he lost his fucking mind when he couldn't appease his sire and here he's in front of his sire admitting that his wrath his childish wrath destroyed what his sire was looking for and so augustus feels great you killed it burnt it's gone it's destroyed well he decides to get rid of claudius yeah yeah and they talk about the the fight between a methuselah a fourth generation methuselah and him just getting his ass whooped, essentially. It was Titanic. It said there were blows thrown that you can go down to the Venetian temple right down to the bottom. And you can still see the, the cracked uh, concrete and stone from where Claudius missed hitting his sire. But in the end, he still got his head crushed by Augustus. Augustus right. crushed his head in his hands and that was that. And then gave his children a capuchin and said, fuck him. I'm done you, with him. You can have his body. And nobody knows what's happened. Oh, by the way, he... Diablis chilled. No, says he didn't. He I didn't, thought he did. Uh, no, no, he didn't actually diabolize. He just lapped at the black blood. That's what escaping he did. from go. his dome piece. Yep. But then was like, I'm not even going to dignify him with the diablery. Hey, Capuchin, take this prick away. I don't ever want to see oh, him again. Oh, because when I'm thinking of the known mentions, because Augustus didn't just eat the antediluvian, by the way. Right. Because there was a bloodline that guarded the Cappadocians, Lemia. Uh, the camera destroyed the last of Lemia, but Lemia herself. That was Augustus. Augustus just grabbed her and ate her. Yep. And that whole entire clan got cursed with their current curse. Right. Which is they can't inflict a kiss and they inflict and do more damage and harm uh, to anyone they or mortals they yeah. feed they, from. They talk, if, you, if you're not familiar with that bloodline, they were, if, if I'm correct, they were a bloodline of protectors. They were like a martial uh, yep. bloodline that protected the Cappadocians. And... Uh, Augustus was like, fuck them, they die too. And they were female only, and they were followers of Lilith, which was another weird thing that the Cappadocians had with them. Right. Um, they, it was just weird. And that's, and by the way, that's one of the reasons that Giovanni selected them and said, if you're this weird and out there and just aren't with it, uh -huh. we're just going to clear the board. Right. Which is where this comes from. But this is why Augustus is paranoid that in him seeing something and we're just going to clear the board, he doesn't know some old world shit that apparently they did about what's going on, because on two fronts, he was like, Lamia wasn't that broken up about getting killed and ate. Why? She had a horrible curse. Right. Every time she fed, something died. She had to feed from the dead to not spread like a disease. Yeah. But she, she had to watch people near her rot and die. And the only people she could be around to serve were those who were already dead, worshiping death, which was the Cappadocians. So to the Giovanni, though, they were like, why does that hold you back? Mm -hmm. Well, then you're too weak to deal with it. We're just going to wipe it clean. And they were like, sure, go ahead. You already killed their founder. I guess we fucked up. Right. And that was that. And it right. was weird, right? Right. So, and why this is important, because Augustus has two things going for him. One, he has strength, immense strength. And uh, that's potence, as they point out, all the Giovanni do. But that comes from, it's no secret, they were ghouls first. Right. They always believed in that practice, even when they were with the Cappadocians. And they, and they talk about, because uh, this is kind of like a head, well, who gives a shit at this point. But they talk about how the Giovanni clan, like 75% of them, are, are are currently ghouls or have served right and that in some percentage like that that is that, that's what happens yeah, you're valuable enough you get the proxy kiss you get to come in and you get to see the other side so most of the clan serves as retainers as ghouls at some point or another so you're dealing with a clockwork clan they don't believe in failures or washouts you'll serve in some capacity <laughs> anyway so there was a footnote, right? I had to mention because Augustus diabolizes uh, off the bat an antediluvian, then he diabolizes yet another founder of a bloodline like that. And just, just sitting back wondering what's going on. Well, what's going on? Weird things. He didn't know. 
that he would have the memories and experience he would have with the blood, and he's paranoid what leftover antediluvian, real antediluvian blood can do. Second thing he's paranoid about, think about it. They weren't cursed with what they had until he diabolized that, fa- that bloodline founder, which means the blood remembers. He was a vampire before he ate her. He shouldn't have her curse yet. Her blood was potent enough to curse the whole bloodline, including him with it. What is going on? Right. And so there's things he doesn't understand. He needs to know. And so the Capuchin, bringing him books, teaching him necromancy. He kills his child for not having that thing. Let's it go. Later on, enters another character, comes walking in out of nowhere. And I like the story of the first encounter. As they, as he put it, and I still want to do it, but Nate will just edit me, so I got to use the <laughs> polite terms for it. Uh, so this uh, African-American gentleman, well-dressed, <laughs> uh, shows up on their doorstep and knocks on the door. And they look out the door and they don't say shit to him. They leave him out there. Everyone goes about their business inside because as the guy put it, we don't know who the hell this guy is standing out there. Some black guy well-dressed right. in a tux saying that, you know, oh, the master's going to get pissed. What do we care? And he leaves. The very next night, there's a knock on the door. They go to look at it and it's this thing dressed up in a tuxedo. It's this uh, disgusting, rotting, skinless, like muscle shown, tendons visible. The eyes are sunken in and drooling, weepy pus and blood advanced stages of decomp. He, you could smell him through the walls. Right. Right. Rooms over. They could smell the intense rot. And all he said was, I would like to speak to Augustus, please. So that very night, he got to speak to Augustus. They, right. <laughs> it was all the intro they needed to know. Right. And that was that. And of course, we're talking about the Samedi founder. This is the Baron, the Baron Samedi himself. And he gets to meet with Augustus. And if you're wondering, I know V20 wanted to throw you a curve and say, we don't really know what went on. Some say this, some say that. I definitely go with what they say in this book because it makes a lot of sense. The Capuchin was buddies with this guy, Baron Samedi. Right. And uh, Samedi wanted uh, to talk to Augustus, had his reasons. And he's looking for something, and he, he goes over, and hey, by the way, so happens I came across this vial that I couldn't open. Has some sloshy noise in it. A uh, beeswax seal. Beeswax seal. Sound familiar to you? Were you looking for that? And Augustus, yeah, I need it. Yeah, absolutely. I want it. Give it to me. Do you have it? Ah, son of a bitch. On the way over here, I got jumped by some sedites. Hoodwinked me, <laughs> and I walked <laughs> away with it. Now, what you got to know, the Semeni are balls deep warring with the Sedites in Haiti, which is exactly where the Baron Samedi's from. And you can tell that this meeting, granted the Giovanni shit on it completely, was their attempt as a bloodline to reach out to a bloodline that became a clan to have some strength right. to help them against the Sedites. And basically Augustus is like, um, fuck you. No, you had this violet you gotta take. He goes, yeah, but the Sedites have it. They have it. You act now. We can do it. But you help me. I want to know necromancy. You have it. Right. I know necromancy. It could teach you my version. And what it ends up being, they don't hate each. Well, they don't like each other. Right. They, we don't really know what their conversation was, but it was over in about 20 minutes. Right. And the two have never sat down together again. But they point out, they point out that that's the, that's the meat of it. Mm-hmm. We know why he said he was here. We know what they wanted. It's pretty obvious, but nothing was decided. And that was that. And they're pretty derogatory about it, too. Goes on to point out that there was yet another bloodline that, you know, they know they're called the Nagaraja, but basically they call them whores. <laughs> like, they tell me who? Like, these guys right. are nothing. They're nothing and nobody, and who cares is how they treat them exactly. Because why would you? Nobody cares. What do you bring to the table? Right. Who do you represent? Bupkiss. All right, bye. We're over here now. Right. And, 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 and that, that's pretty much the end of that, the history of the Giovanni. Yep. We go into the life of the Giovanni. And 
some some things that everyone here probably is aware of some incest uh some uh it's you know we we, we said before it's it's not i think you're aware of it I mean, this is this is that point where we define it, right? right. Because it's, we reviewed it. It right. is not it is not the misnomer of just incest, right? Does it happen? Absolutely. It's yeah. going to be an insular clan. They definitely grew up that way, but that's been their strength, right? But it is not. They have rules about it, right? right. For one, first off, it's frowned upon. Yeah, yeah. You we will get punished. We don't. We don't appreciate you f- kissing cousins. <laughs> However, we won't kill the, you for it, right? We understand you're going to love who you love. You're going to like who you like, but. But you can't marry uh, your kid or your 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 parent. We don't we don't want brothers and sisters being spouses. Mom, dad, sister, first cousins, first cousins, off limits. That's the rule. However, most of the time, most of the time they end up riding a short bus anyways. So, <laughs> so don't do that. So your 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 second cousin on for uh, all right. Yeah, it happens. We'll let you be you. However, they're quick to add. That doesn't stop dad from dipping in sis. It doesn't. It, and it happens, but the thing is, they're they're a fraction of what goes on in the Giovanni family. It's not, eh, it's every day you may run into them, but you don't say anything because here's the truth to it: they tend to be real fucking strong in necromancy. Those guys come out some sort of domino uh, for the clan quite more often than they like to admit. And why? Well, think about it. What else are they going to do? You got right. somebody coming out with some of the the flaws that come out of there of that union. They're going to have nothing but time to spend talking to the dead. And it's one of the one of the things they point out. And they said, yeah, you can look at it as bad, but move on. We've done worse. And he, he tells you about worse in that book. That it's not the worst that this clan has ever done. Right. Now, um, that's that. So, yes, that's true. There is incest in Giovanni clan, but it bears mentioning just like they did it. Because if you decide, oh, yeah, you're incestuous to the wrong Giovanni, you may end up making an enemy on a slight. Not that you care. Just saying. That is, that is a fact. Yep. Going from that, there's some things Nate mentioned. Uh Gould 75% number. What does that come from? Well, it's because there's a selection process for ghouling. You do not get to take your butt and just ghoul someone. Not in a family, right? You may have subordinates, attendants, outsiders to family business that you need. Yeah, ghoul them as you need to there, but they better not ever know where our estates are or where we live or who you know other family members are. They don't have to chauffeur you to go visit these places. Right. Um, that's for family only. And by family, just because... You bear, you know, some blood from a Giovanni doesn't make you family. We do mean blood related or embraced. That yep. does bring you in. Yep. Now that said, there are those who serve. Now the proxy kiss is what happens because if you're born into this family and you happen to be a Giovanni, uh, there's a process, right? And it says that cool, you'll spend time growing in the lap of luxury as a kid do, family taking care of you, et cetera, et cetera. No big deal. Uh, but you're going to have visits to odd relatives. You're going to see some aunts and uncles and definitely have some weird family gatherings. That you're just not privy to. Nothing going on there. But it's commonplace that even at that level, the Giovanni are incredibly competitive. These are kids who are go-getters in school. These are people driven to do well, to get, whether it be assets, money. Whatever it is that they're good at. Focus on it. Focus on it and excel and beat everybody else. Because at these meetings, these relatives are sitting back and they're watching you. And they're getting an update. Literally like almost cattle. Like, oh, they're, they're, they're showing well. That's good. What about hoofage? Is their hoofage good? They got all their teeth? All right, cool. Um, all right, well, we may have one ghouled. We may proxy one in. Now, what the proxy kiss does is just a cool term to reference that, yeah, they get ghouled, but it's more than that. When you get called up and you're ghouled, proxied, you now serve someone. Right. That veil is lifted. You become aware of the propaganda of Clan Giovanni, and you serve that's it's truth the truth of the matter and one thing that they establish is you're going to serve 
and you're going to serve no matter what. Right. Life or death, you are going to serve. Everyone has a use somewhere. <laughs> and, you know, uh, just because you're, you're getting old doesn't mean you get to pass on. They, they, they talk about if, if, you, if you get permission to die, it is your job to make sure you make an effort to communicate with us if you end up as a wraith. Yep. So even in death, service is not over. And they refer to that as vampires. Right. If you're a vampire and you die and you get over there, you better contact right. us. Right. Yeah, service is never over. This is an immortal service to the family. <laughs> and it's that simple. I mean, this is a serious deal. Now, proxy ghouls compete. They compete to get embraced. You want to do well because when you're immortal, just serving, you're aspired to managerial positions, as they put it, in whatever facet that is. Whatever contributes money contributes to the mm -hmm. family. When you're proxied, we want to make you higher. Right. And we're going to make you higher because we're grooming you for even better. And once you're embraced, welcome to hell. He literally said it. Proxy's the best time of your life. You get to ride the fence, serve someone. You know, you know you have to only worry about the guy above you, but you know exactly what that person wants you to do, and you just go about competing. The moment you're embraced, it's over. Because now you have to earn. You yourself have to be the person in charge. And that stress is on a whole other level. And there's three ways to serve, right? You can either provide money. Right. Which the clan always needs. Money provides everything yep. in the world. Yep, wealth. It's wealth, it's power, it's security, it's stability, it's opportunity, it's everything you need it to be. Um, you can also serve necromantically. Spirits. Provide to the overall end of Uncle Augustus there. That's what he's looking for. And either you're looking for a way to rip that shroud down or find his vessel or right. find a... Um, we have a lot of souls we need to, uh, to, to gather. So. Something like the Kalan book or something like that. It's a necromantic book specifically outlining how to rip apart the shroud, uh, which is, by the way... That was, the, that was the word I couldn't remember. They originally went to the Eurysius Temple about. Old Claudius. Remember him? Mm -hmm. Rip. Um, and that's the, whole, that's the whole process and idea. The third way is you can't do the other two. You die. You become a wraith. And now you do whatever the hell we said you need to do. Right. Yeah. Perhaps you need to guard a book. Yep. Or, or, or a mausoleum, you, you old, crusty bastard. They reference a guy who was too devout. Loved it. Loved God too much. And he gets to be a Giovanni through it. And they, he does well, proxy kiss, brings money, earns right. followers. Because they, uh, they also talk about that the Giovanni are good Catholics. Yep. I mean, that's, that's no doubt. But we're not, we're not going to go to church every Sunday, good Catholics. Like, you understand. <laughs> but what this guy does, and it's always an example, favorite story around Christmas, they tell. Uh, this guy decided that, hey, you know, I'm not going to do what you need me to do because it's against God. Okay, no problem. So they kill him. And they force him to guard a tomb. Like on the right. east side. No, it's a tomb at the at the family grounds. And right. every year around Christmas, they encourage ghouls to go down in there with the courage to go and shit on his corpse. Right. <laughs> and now he gets to spend eternity watching young Giovanni defile him. That's it. And he says, oh, and the scariest thing you could do, he makes the room cold. <laughs> right. For, you, really, you really have to read this book to get a feel for how the how Justin Achille writes this character because this character he's been around for a couple hundred years right but he you know and he's seen a lot of shit but the humor to it the way that they like the the level of degrade like degradation that certain things are referenced to like it's definitely it's spot on yeah 
And if you read between the lines, it's somebody who was who was once mortal, learned about the family, had to adapt, had to adapt, had to adapt. And now he's operating at a level where he's just a shark swimming. Right. Looking at every day he wakes up with the most dangerous people to his left and his right, to his very existence. And he's in constant competition to prove that he could swim the best and longest. And if he ever gets slow, if he ever looks back, he knows what he's going to do in the afterlife already. You get to a certain point reading this story where you know exactly how this guy feels about certain things and certain people, certain clans. Cert- you, you, you can read the opinion of the, that the Giovanni clan has of the other clans, but really it's just an affirmation of what you already know. Like this guy wears his personality on his sleeve. And it's it's fantastic. It's a great read. Not seen anywhere else. You're not going to find another book. They have it here. And I think uh, Justin Kelly did amazing doing it. It talks about specifically the rates they deal with. Irons them out. Tells you everything they know about them and what they can do from a Giovanni perspective. Which means if you're a player playing a Giovanni have no idea about Wraith, you have to own and read this book. You have to. Right. Because if you're not going to know Wraith, you're only know him as a spirit retainer, which is what they make them in V20. I have a spirit retainer rating. My ghost can spy on things, and they can also uh, tell me about uh, lost and dead languages I Nerd need to know. It. Nerd words it. <laughs> so yeah, anyway. They, that's, they, uh, do, they do a great job here to tell you not just the clans, the 13 clans. Let me build that a little bit. I'm just saying instead of making a background, they define it to where if you're yeah. a storyteller with creativity, you're able to take this and you're able to go, okay. There's other factions and ways to go with this, even in the land of the dead, to make it my own. I don't have to own Wraith if I have this book because I have an idea of what they can do and what they do right. for the clan. And you, and you can use those broad brush strokes to paint out a more realistic Shadowlands, a more realistic land of the dead, the underworld, what have you. Because like a guy like me, I've never read any of the Wraith books. You know, I don't know shit about them. But this book goes, hey, here's a little help. You want to get into that? You want to know what that is? Here you go. Here's a roadmap. And hey, if you want to paint even a, a, a brighter picture, no pun intended, uh, go ahead and grab that book because that book is going to be important to you too. It all depends on the type of character you're playing and the type of game you're going to run. Right. But it gives you more than really any other clan book does because there's this whole other world that the Giovanni are intrinsically tied to. Couldn't agree more. And at the end, it gives you the typical unique right. merits and flaws. It gives you the, um, of course, the templates, which are amazing. Yep. Uh, my favorite two are the cynic and the mobster. Mm-hmm. I like the mobster because it's com- it gives the you the exact, the exact perspective of how the clan is with that. The good old Sicilian he is. Then it gives the cynic. Why I like the cynic? Who doesn't like a cynic template? Right. Here's a guy you get to read about and learn what a horrible piece of shit he is and uh, how he hates being immortal and what a unique concept that is to me. Usually it's the other way around. Immortal and I can be an uber dick for the rest of my days. Nope, he pretty much doesn't like himself. Right. And that's that. Uh, now to finish the tale I started telling at the very beginning, answering Chad's question. <clears throat> this book has so much flavor, it goes into what happens when young Giovanni decide to comment. Because they don't believe that Augustus Giovanni's real. Even as it said, so for the last 30 years, Augustus has been asleep. Right. For all intents and purposes, the elders believe he's taking the nap, as most Antediluvians do. There's like some ancient distilling process for the blood. And truth be told, you know, if something happened 800 years ago, yeah, there are there are vampires who were in existence back then who remember. But if I was embraced 30 years ago, what the fuck do I know about that? Right. And so they get derogatory. You know, they're going to be a little asinine. And they say, yeah, Uncle Augie wants me to do this. Well, they do a thing. They pick a ghoul in the family. You know, if you hear the comment, Nate's the ghoul who made the comment, and I'm the Giovanni. That's kind of me to show the example tonight. 
Well, I have this ghoul, and for lack of purpose, we'll say Jeff. Jeff's a good guy. He's one of my ghouls. No problem. Uh, but Jeff really kind of fucked up the other night. And by the way, happens all the time in Clan Giovanni. kind of on the outs. Yep. Jeff shut the door a little too quick, caught my finger in it. You know, I'm immortal, not like it was hurting anything. But man, was that inconvenient. Well, Jeff's going to go and put Nate in a room, and he's going to sit him down. And uh, I'm going to say, Nate, it's good that you made that comment. No problem. We're not even going to bind you, man. Don't worry about it. Why would you have to buy me? Oh, nothing big. Hey, Jeff, I want you to take those pliers and rip out Nate's tongue. Right. <laughs> and Nate's like, what? And Jeff has to walk over and do it. Now, Nate's not going to get up. I'm a bigger and older vampire. I will fucking hurt the shit out of Nate. However, this ghoul's walking over. Nate knows I'm going to hurt the shit out of this ghoul for whatever he does. We're in family. I know. No, Jeff, don't do. And mm -hmm. Jeff rips his tongue out. And then we put a severed finger right where his tongue would be. And Jeff holds it there until it heals. Think how horrific that is. The tip of your tongue is now a finger. And the point is, is every time he goes to open his mouth, he's reminded as he looks at a fingernail right. uh, that, you know, oh yeah, we don't make fun of Augustus Giovanni. Right. And, and what he and, does. And your old tongue will heal back as soon as you bite that one off. Yep. And you know what? Sometimes this works and sometimes it doesn't. But really, isn't it about the message? Uh, <laughs> this, you know, this proxy kiss little prick over here who's been fucking up right and left. He's going to cut your tongue out to make me like him again. So that you understand you don't open your mouth about Augustus. And by the way, the moment old Bob the Vampire leaves the room, mm -hmm. Nate's going to fuck Jeff up. Right. He right. can't kill Jeff, right. but oh man, right. can Jeff live through a lot. And you know what? That's okay. Because you're, you're, you're still a member of the family, and that prick still pissed me off last week. <laughs> and you know what? Jeff's going to learn not to shut my finger in the door. Right. It's a win-win. <laughs> right. And an alternative to that is we just give you like the old Columbia necktie. You know, we just we just slit your throat and we just wind it, your tongue down through your esophagus and we just wait for you to heal that. And, you know, again, you can fix it by biting that tongue off. And don't forget, you can bite your tongue off or re-slit your throat yourself. Right, right. And cut the tongue out. Right. <laughs> Basically, we learn through pain. Right, right. So that about wraps up Clan Giovanni. It went into a couple points. Why? Uh, I'll tell you. Isabel Giovanni's one to note because she's the one embedded in the Camarilla still is. Uh, she's noted because she's a person who feeds from severed heads. Why I want to note it is because you, you kind of need to know them. to Like, because a lot of people still think that Giovanni are just like Ventru who speak to spirits. I hear that so much. It's annoying. It's such a horseshit opinion and totally uninformed. Isabel Giovanni has to cut off the head because she has uh, her blood's poisonous believe is what they say in there and uh so she feeds from the dead so she cuts off the head of a corpse sticks a straw in it as the picture even shows right and she drinks from the head she's noteworthy because in the camarilla that she's a go-to the user is that and she often sneaks into camera in all sorts of places because got to remember in this edition of the book the camarilla doesn't like the giovanni right because yeah they'll allow them to exist in their own in the city but they better not participate in her politics yet she's going around part participating in politics some some cities even nominate them in the Primogen Council. Yeah. You know, she's against, a master of disguises. And she goes and does her thing. Pockley's mentioned in there. Mm -hmm. And uh, to add to why Pockley can hold off the Sabbat, it's not him versus Sabbat packs. Pockley likes to resurrect the dead, turn them into whole fields of zombies because he knows a level of necromancy that those piston knobs brought in. And uh, we didn't mention them at all, and we have to. I apologize. So there are other facets. We'll do this real quick. Right. Since we're already in, in Pockley's business. Um, Pockley's whole point is that he handles uh, the Aztec as example. Long, I don't even want to read it. I mean, I'm trying to be brief with it. It's hard. 
Basically, all the Blood God stuff the Aztecs did, Pockley was around when that was going on. He was made when that was going around. That's his shtick. And he still practices it and has to to work that necromancy. That necromancy gives him the power to resurrect armies of zombies. Right. As he needs to. To do what he needs them to do. Which is whoop the shit of Sabat who think they're going to walk into his home and kill him. Why is he in Mexico? Because he believes in his people. He needs the Giovanni's backing to defend the Mexican people from all the atrocities that are being enforced on them by the world's nations, as he sees it. And the Sabbat. And the Sabbat specifically. Um, it does both. It's all the above. And it's in there even now, and it's kept, and I love that we have kept it in White Wolf. Then you have the Duncern. Duncern are one of my favorite because their story, I, I'm going to be brief with that, I promise. Mm-hmm. Duncern, they're Scottish, right? They're a rich Scottish family. It's really that simple. They're good at banking, good with money. And they were near to wells, except one of them yeah, was a cannibal. <laughs> now, this would be a footnote right. in history because they tell the cannibal, get the fuck out of here. We're like, you're no longer with us. Yeah, all right, I'll leave with my food. Right. He goes over there, except he's still really good with money. He's still really good at collecting debts, and he makes his own little empire. Yeah, interestingly enough, they were a uh, kinfolk family that served uh, one of the, the Fianna tribe. tribes. Yep. Right. Uh, the Fianna disowned them, yep. which is why they yeah. were doing what they like, were doing. We're tired of your shit. Get out of here. Now, what happened? Is that it? That's a Dunstern? No, because the Dunstern are cannibals. Well, weird, Bob. You said one of them was. Well, that's because when he got big, he came back and killed everybody else. <laughs> right. Everybody else in the Dunstern family died, and they ate them, those who came back to do it, and uh, won the feud. And now they're the Dunstern. That's the exact reason Augustus grabbed them was because of what they did. Right. You were thrown out. You came back and took it over. Ah, you show initiative. Perfect. Welcome. Here's a little necromancy in your bid. Don't have to be good at it because you're good at banking. Right. Ding. And uh, let's see. The milliners. The milliners are, eh. I say it like that because milliners are, are newer. They're right, they're okay. newer. They're an American. Uh, they're they're an American addition. They are how the Giovanni got into America proper. How to get from Italy over here? They used the Dunstern to come across the pond with their connections. They used the milliner to get embroiled into the politics of America because the Kennedys. Right. Kennedys, Rockefellers, those type of people. Uh, milliner competed with them and ended up on the short end of the stick. Didn't didn't do so hot. He needed money to continue what he needed to do, and weren't the Giovanni right there to give him all the money he needed? And Miller wasn't satisfied with just the money to keep his head above water. He says, I know what I have is going to work. We're going to crush them. Yep. JFK got assassinated. No, that doesn't take it off the books. Right. Was there, were they involved? Who knows? We can ruin his legacy, right? Augustus right. certainly could. And that's what the Milliners did. Yeah, but you didn't know the Kennedys pay rent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the Kennedys paid rent on their house. He... He just went at every asset they had, and that's where this kind of facets of, of where they have their line. Right. They, they, they call it extra branches so that the tree doesn't stump. And uh, in here, although this one didn't mention them, I, I won't mention them. Those no. get mentioned later yeah. on. Like, yeah. you're probably wondering why the Rothsteins. I don't right. remember reading them in this one at all. No, they're not. Yeah. If they are, they're, they're a very, there are some very small families. You can read those for yourself. Right, the um, African one I know they mentioned, right, which but is a I don't, Yeah, there's more stuff. I mean, th- th- that's the thing. Like, this this gets revised just like every other clan book. And the revision is good because it gets into more detail. But I think for what it is, it's good enough to do the smaller stuff because the most popular facets are in this book. Right. Already. And the revised is good, too. So, to finalize, thus far, of all the clan books we've read uh, from the second edition, the first printing of the clan books, this is my absolute favorite. And it's, there's only a couple we haven't done. So it's safe to say this one is my absolute favorite. I love the way it's written, the style. 
I love how quickly you can get through it because it's conversational and man, it's just, it's just ruthless. It's a cool book. Um, I got to tell you, I think of the clan, I agree with you of all, of all the, uh, vampire clan books, this is the best one so far. Right. Um, I do think that, uh, again, I may love the Lysambra clan. I may like yeah. the clan book. Yeah. This is my favorite child, though, when yeah, it comes to that and the way it was rolled out. And on the rare occasion you get to play uh, Giovanni, man, do it, because they're a fun clan, if you want. You know, of course, this is not the clan for everyone. They're not nice people. You got to really love your family, you know? Right. Really love right. your family. And you have to be just okay with being incredibly offensive, because they are. Fuck you. I mean, you know, that's really the Any situation. Any way you look at it, you're either going to be really creepy... And, you know, there you go. Or you're going to be somebody who's obsessed with crushing your enemies with some, some influence, some backgrounds. Right. To get your things done. Or just being undead. So let's wrap this up. Uh, a couple of things that I want to share with you folks. We're actually going to be doing something um, new with our uh, Patreon backers. We are going to be releasing two podcasts a month to our patrons exclusively starting October 1st. We're going to start off uh, for a period of time uh just going over individual paths of humanity we're going to do game reviews uh other than vampire the masquerade uh we're going to do a bunch of stuff so for our ten dollar and above patreon backers you're going to have access to at least another hour of podcasts a month specifically for you um they they will only be exclusively there so check us out at patreon.com forward slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Utility Muffin Labs is our place to be. That's our website, utilitymuffinlabs.com. Um, and definitely check out our, our companion podcast, Nerd Words, also available on our website. Um, other than that, we hope you enjoyed this book. We enjoyed reviewing it. We enjoyed reading it. And uh, next week, we'll be doing Clan Book Ravnos. Huh. I'll be drunk. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, anyways, we'll hold off all statements until then. Until next week, I'm Nathan. And I'm Bob. And we love you all. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. 